Welcome to Factum Agri, dedicated to New Zealand's agriculture industry. Each week I talk with farmers and industry professionals to hear their stories and expert opinions on various industry related matters that are relevant to both our farming and our urban communities. Are you out there like me wondering who is going to pick the fruit and veggies this year? This ongoing issue is a serious problem. It has been discussed many times by many people, including me on this show. There clearly is no immediate plan to allow seasonal workers through the border and get the job done. How the government did not foresee this as being a significant problem and develop a plan is somewhat concerning. Or do we simply accept that fruit and veg prices will soar? Or that this might be the tipping point for more businesses in a year that most could quite happily forget? This not only has economic consequences on businesses and families, but significant social implications as well. What about our unemployed, of which there are around 151,000 in New Zealand, which is a rate of 5.3%, according to Stats NZ, and counting, I might add, as COVID continues to impact our country? Why are we not encouraging this group of New Zealanders to transition to parts of the country where there is clearly a labour shortage? If you take Hawke's Bay for example, there are currently more than 5,000 people on either a hardship benefit or an income relief payment. Is it outrageous to consider that many of these people could fill the labour shortage in the region? Is the problem staring us in the face but we don't know how to tackle it head on? More questions than answers it would seem. What does worry me is if we autopilot the current course, many of our growers and producers will suffer and indeed, we will all suffer at the checkout. Our pastoral farmers, including supply chains, were considered as essential workers through COVID-19 lockdowns this year, which kept New Zealand's economy ticking over, and we have a lot to be grateful for that this happened. Today on the show, working with Postgrape Farming, National Livestock Supply Chain Manager at PGG Wrightson, Jamie Malloy, joins me to discuss how lockdown impacted New Zealand's largest stock and station business. Let's check in with Jamie now. Hello, Jamie. Thank you for chatting with me today. Yeah, great, Angus. Thanks Thanks for having us. Please, can you tell me about the work that you do? Okay, so I'm the um, National Supply Chain Manager for PG Wrightsons. Um, been working for the company for 12 years uh, with, with uh, and obviously in supply chain for livestock. Um, and... Uh, Probably uh, my biggest part of my work is looking after our uh, Go products I've developed and um, along with uh, others in the company, uh, growing those uh, Go products, which is a supply chain product which puts uh, animals on um, our clients' farms and uh, they grow them through and they take, um, once we sell them, they take the the trading margin on those. So that's a product that's sort of grown from, from zero five years into um, we've put 1.2 million lambs through it and a couple hundred thousand cattle so it's been a real um it's been a real success and um you know it's just it's, it's for trading stock um so that, that's gone really really well also work with the meat processors um and um smoothing that supply chain and, and putting uh putting things in place with farmers and processors or um niche markets such as angus programs uh, wagyu and dairy, dairy things as well, working with our corporates, our iwi groups, um, 
and um, our, our partners there. So um, yeah, no, it's pretty pretty diverse sort of a, a role, and uh, really enjoy it. PG Wrightson is a big player in the New Zealand farming sector. Do you have the lion's share in the stock and station business in New Zealand, Jamie? Yeah, well, we've got a um, a proud history of about 165 years, um, and um, yeah, we we are the biggest uh, in the agribusiness sector there. Um, obviously, um, not just in livestock. We 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 cover all supplies. Um, our fruit feed business, which is viticulture and, and horticulture, um, water, livestock, wool, and real estate. So we've got sort of got the whole uh, agri business side of it covered. Um, and um, yeah, and our obviously 220 agents um, throughout throughout the country from um, bottom of the south to the top of the north. So yeah, we've got a, a fairly good uh, market share, that's for sure. Are most of your livestock still traded through sale yards or has this changed over the years? Obviously, online auctions are on the rise. Yeah, you're right, Angus. That it has changed over the years and um, um, you know there is multiple ways that we do transact livestock um, within our company and with our customers. Um, we've got you know, on... Uh, obviously, our uh, sale yards. We've got 58 sale yards throughout the country. We've um, they are our sort of a shop window, if you like. Um, we also do a lot of on-farm sales um, and a lot of genetic sales, uh, which are on-farm primarily. Um, and then online, obviously, has taken off in the last um, sort of 12, 18 months, and um, this has probably been accelerated uh, with with COVID, um, with with our um, sale yards having to close down during that period. But um, you know that bidder um, platform has been very successful. Um, we started, we've done a couple of live streams out of our sale yards too, which have also been uh, really, really have gone down well. And um, in genetics, it's sort of gone from strength to strength, starting with the two-year-old um, bull sales, um, growing momentum through the yearling um, bull sales. And now um, we're seeing a huge activity in the uh, ram sales. So, um, and then the live streaming, of course, um, on, on top of that. So that, that bit of, um, platform is really gaining momentum and it's certainly here to stay and our, our, our clients are really seeing the benefits of it coming through now. Fantastic. So, but yeah, sorry. No, um, so COVID must have given that platform a bit of a real shot in the arm in the early stages of development or trading. Well, it, it did. It sort of, um, unfortunately, we had to close um, our sale yards for obvious reasons. Um, so that that wasn't great, but it was um, it was certainly you know certainly significant having to having to be able to use that bidder as as a backup to those sale yards, and then it it sort of um, it probably accelerated the use and understanding and um, and uptake of the product. You know, it probably bought it uh, of the platform. So um, yeah, that was uh, yeah it was probably a silver lining if you like to a to a pretty horrendous situation. Yeah, I guess it also highlights the capability that you now have if we are to go through something like COVID again. Yeah, so we, we're geared up, um, you know, and, and like I said, it's not our only platform. We've got sure. the on-sale, uh, um, you know, th- through on-farm mm. as well, um, um, and paddock sales. Um, but yeah, it is um, it's certainly um, ramped that up and um, the awareness is there. So, uh, you know, the transition through uh, uh, is just going to be a lot smoother. 
Mm. If, if we do go there again, which hopefully that doesn't eventuate. Indeed. Jamie, how are store prices holding up at the farm gate currently compared to, say, the same time last year? And where are we currently sitting on a 10-year average? So um, the store prices are holding up remarkably well, and that's probably been um, um, a lot to do with the weather. Um, you know, we've had good rain just in the, you know, through most of the country um, in the last few weeks. So that's sort of turned it around um, and, and kept those store prices buoyant. Over a 10-year average, we, we, the prices would be well up. On a five-year average, they're about, um, about even. On a year-on-year basis, compared to last year, they're back reasonably significantly on store lambs. It's probably um, yeah, 80, 80 cents a kilo, and, and probably um, your beef is, depending on what class of stock is, a similar level. So that is um, probably... Uh, back on last year is more to do with um, the uncertainty um, around around the markets, just with the uh, COVID situation around the world, more than more than anything, and some supply chain uh, issues, I suppose. So, um, yeah, on an, uh, all in all, it's it's holding up very well, um, and, and just the grass has given the, the our farming clients just the ability to be able to um, hold stock longer and not you know there their hand isn't forced to have to dump stock um, uh, as it is in a, in, a, uh, in a drought situation. And also, um, probably a lot of destocking happened. Well, didn't, probably it did happen um, mm. during the drought, so there's a lot of restocking to be done as well. So, mm. um, so and, yeah, all uh, in all, pretty, pretty good. Yeah, that's good to hear. And how's capacity currently at our processes? Are you seeing significant supply chain disruptions there? Well, um, the, the capacity is there. Um, it's, uh, you know, the, the meat processors have, have handled, um, you know, the disruptions remarkably well. You know, the, um, you, know, you take your head off to the, all those, uh, those staff that work in those processes, you know, during very, you know, really trying times where they've had to manage their uh, spacings and, and whatnot through their um, plants. You know, they've done a remarkable job uh, there of uh, keeping the supply chain, uh, although it's been disrupted um, through no fault of anyone's, um, they've done a great job there. So hats off to them. Um, also, uh, at the moment, um, you know, it was looking like there was going to be a bit of a bottleneck for lamb space and cattle space. There still is a little bit, but um, that's been um, you know lessened by the uh, good rain we've had. So the again, it's taken the. Um, probably the foot off the throat of a lot of our farmers by allowing them to um, put more weight into stock and, um, and and even that kill out a bit more, which has been, uh, which is, which is certainly some benefits to that. The supply chain disruptions, are, are, you know, that we're seeing and, and probably, dare I say, going to continue to see um, around shipping. Um, also, uh, the availability to get seasonal workers in for, for these plants, for, for manning them. Mm. Um, yeah, they, they're the disruptions we're going to have for it. And we're not, um, you know, we're not alone in that. You talk to other industries, you know, the building industry, you know, um, manufacturing, they're all having those supply chain issues um, with especially imported anything that needs to be important. There are holdups there. Mm. But, um, so, and that, you know, we're, we're getting better at managing those. And I think it's just, unfortunately, it's just, it's just the environment we are in at the moment and most people accept that and um, we've got no choice to accept it so we're just gonna 
get on and, and manage it as best we can. Mm. And you've touched on this, and due to COVID-19, with restaurants in our major trading nations closed, our top-end cuts in lamb look to be impacted. And, of course, venison looks to have completely fallen off a cliff. Yeah, well, that's this due to the fact, you know, that those um, that, that top-end lamb and venison are very much food service um, uh, you know, products and going into the restaurant um, restaurant trade and Europe and um, much of the states, you know, are going under, you know, close shutting down again. They're um, or getting tighter restrictions on, um, so that certainly doesn't help that that top end market. Um, and also, so, so so that those top end cuts instead of going into the food service, they're going you know more into retail, which obviously goes in at a, at a lesser rate and um, at a lesser. Um, um, return so um mm. and or, yeah yeah so that's uh that, that's the reason those those things are coming off the, you know on the other flip side you know some of the um lesser cuts um you know their value is held very well and you've yeah. um obviously you've talked about other industries and supply chains that have been impacted due to COVID 19 how's the pgg Wrightson's business just in a general sense handling the year has there been any really significant troubles or are things tracking along okay yeah, they're, they're tracking. Uh, they're tracking actually pretty well, Angus. Um, you know, That's we right. you know, obviously a challenging year for um, for all, all you know all parts of our business. But yeah, the diversity there helps us a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but yeah, yeah, obviously the COVID. Yeah, we were one of the fortunate and, and privileged uh, um, services to be able to continue working i'm talking from livestock point of view and yes. that um as an essential working so that was a really a real plus for us but yeah obviously it did um, impact our business as as it did to many others so um but yeah we're yeah we've put uh as it's, we've got a lot of learnings out of it here you know, we operate our business differently you know, a lot more remotely mm-hmm. you know, we've we're set up for um you know we do have uh contingency plans for, for this sort of thing and they've only strengthened um, through this challenging time so it's, it's been uh, there's been some pluses obviously mm. but um, overall it's been it's been pretty pretty tough as it has been for our uh, clients and, and you know combined with you know, widespread drought in 2020 through uh, many regions uh, that's also um, hasn't been much fun mm. now many factors impact farm gate returns with weather and feed availability being a big part of that what will be farmers biggest challenge to returns over the next 12 months on a dare side i think it's still going to be um you know the COVID. um that's 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 just the nervousness um the reality hopefully will be different but um that that does seem to be the um uh the the biggest challenge and you know these markets have not only got to start opening again they've got to recover and and get back to where they are but yeah new zealand we're in a you know, unique um position our, our our um our produce is highly regarded and um you know we you know our supply chains uh, domestically aren't as affected as um, other countries so mm-hmm. we're going to have a, um, a bit of a head start I'm hoping mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, as opposed to some of our um, uh, less, less fortunate uh, trading um, people. Yeah indeed and what are you expecting out of the regional comprehensive economic partnership that we've just recently signed up to? Yeah well I think um, it's obviously positive it's a great step that that 
that block is, um, I think it's going to be, um, if not the biggest, very, very nearly the biggest block, um, trading block uh, in the world. Um, you know, it's, it, it, uh, it accounts for about 30% of world trade and um, about um, a third of uh, the world's population. So it's certainly significant. Um, probably the biggest, you know, we, we have got free trade agreements with most of those um, 15 markets uh, listed in the agreement um, already. So, um, you know, the tariff thing, probably the big the big upside there is Indonesia, um, where we, you know, we've still got significant um, tariffs in Indonesia. Um, so within this agreement, um, you know, some of those will be lifted into that market, which will make it a lot, uh, uh, a lot more accessible. Um, but the bigger probably thing is is the um, um, risk at the the port with perishing products, uh, uh, meat and horticultural products. Um, you know, under this agreement, um, you know, these, these these products will be released within six hours of arrival. Um, yeah, all things being as they should be, so that that creates a lot more certainty amongst our exporters, um, and making them more willing and um, takes takes that risk out into those markets, and then obviously that has a flow back benefit to the farmers um, with more exports at lower risk. So, um, yeah, the, the shelf life is huge for for, for New Zealand um, produce, um, being so far away from the market. So anything that can um, quicken our produce over those borders is going to be a massive benefit to um, our, uh, you know, our producers. So it's got to be good. Yeah, Indeed. It's, re- it's really, yep. Jamie, how's the confidence in farmers out there when you're getting around the traps? Um, depends where you go, Angus, but um, mm. it's, uh, and, and who you talk to. But uh, I think it's... Um, Generally, in the circumstances, you know, in, in the environment, you know, in the world, um, in the global climate we're in at the moment, I think it's um, pretty good. Although, re, re, you know, a little bit reserved. Uh, you know, we're not certainly uh, not taking anything for granted, and, and no things can change pretty quickly. Um, so it's yeah, quietly optimistic. I think you know we're all looking probably, you know, a year, you know, a year or two ahead, and we're thinking, you know, it's looking well. From what, what I'm hearing, it's looking pretty good. Um, once we get over this COVID hurdle, I think we're going to be in a really good place. At the recent Primary Industries New Zealand Summit, our Prime Minister thanked our farmers for their contribution to New Zealand and how important the primary industry is to, to our economy. It was really pleasing to hear that the government wants greater input from farmers on policy. I just really hope that eventuates. How important, in your view, is it that farmers are part of the policy decision-making process? Yeah, Angus. Well, it was obviously great to hear the prime minister come out and say that at the um, at the summit, and um, it's you know it is vital that um, farmers have a have a voice in these policy decisions. You know, we've got some very uh, you know great advocates for our industry um, right through uh, you know right through the the sector and um, they do have a lot of involvement um, and have had a lot of involvement already um, they need to continue to do that we need to keep growing and bringing our leaders through um, you know we've got some great women in there we've got some great young people in there we've got to keep bringing those people through and bringing them right through to the top so they can influence those decisions and you know the experience they have we need to Bring that rural piece right, right, right through the top, and, and it's great to hear the prime minister speaking like that. I think it's it's all positive there. Mm. Do you have a view 
on the urban-rural divide? It's a question I ask a lot, but in my view, it's an important one. And I believe our urban populations need a deeper connection to rural New Zealand like they once did. Yeah, no, I do have a view, um, Angus. I think it's, um, you know, that divide is, um, I, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a, certainly a two-way thing. I think both urban and rural have responsibilities there to bring that divide closer. And it, it's been challenged because, you know, like my generation, um, I'm in the 50s, early 50s, um, you know, we all knew someone um, if we were in, 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 uh, urban people all, all knew someone or had a cousin or an uncle or were on a farm. So we, we got out to the farms um, at, at any, you know, a lot of opportunities. But now, because of the diversity of our um, population, that doesn't always happen. And I think um, we've got to acknowledge that. And, and yeah, there, there is some um, really good initiatives that they are, you know, that I've seen around the country bringing um, rural and urban people together through um, you know, planting natives on, you know, the uh, urban people come out and help do that. Um, open days, kids, schools coming out, trips. So I think it's really, really important that we continue that. And um, I think just in the last, just in the last 12 months, I think the urban um, populations, if you like, have, have got a better understanding of our rural um, importance um, and our position um, within the company, I think it's really uh, come through, and that's been helped by some of the political, um, probably comments from like the prime minister and, and, and you know leaders alike that are acknowledging the importance of um, agriculture and the rural sector to uh, our, our country. Um, but as I say, it's a, it's a two-way thing, and, and responsibilities need to be uh, um, up taken from both sides mm, i completely agree on that jamie thank you so very much for your time today i know you're busy so i do appreciate it no thanks angus great to uh come on and uh, have a yak it's great thanks thank you to my guest today jamie malloy it was pleasing to hear our largest agricultural service provider is in good shape and has come through this challenging year when all is considered it was pleasing to hear our Prime Minister talk at the Primary Industries Summit and acknowledge the great work being done by the primary sector and indeed acknowledge many rural votes turned red this election cycle. The government has a huge responsibility to listen to that vote and of course show action in support of words used to praise the primary industry for dragging us out of the mud due to COVID-19. There was comment around fresh water and how if some aspects are unworkable, then advice will be given to ministers with a view to making regulations workable. Again, action is required. Working with the farming sector today, right now, is critical. Farmers are feeling the pressure as we speak. What they need is certainty from policymakers that will relieve the pressure valve all the while working through environmental challenges. I've talked about this on a couple of occasions. But our urban waterways are a disgrace. Auckland beaches get closed every summer due to the toxic nature of the water flowing through the city. Chemical and domestic household products, human faeces, all flow through our urban waterways. 
In a recent report by the Ministry for the Environment, it showed that most of the rivers and catchments in urban land cover class are polluted with nutrients and suspended sediment, and many are polluted with pathogens and heavy metals. River reaches and catchments in the urban land cover class and the medians of the modelled nitrate and E. coli levels were twice as high as reaches and catchments in the pastoral land cover class and 23 and 36 times higher respectively than reaches and catchments in the native land cover class. For river reaches and catchments in the urban land cover class, the median levels of modelled dissolved reactive phosphorus and turbidity were 39 and 57% higher respectively than river reaches and catchments in the pastoral land cover class and four and three times higher respectively than river reaches and catchments in the native land cover class. So rather than turning the pressure cooker up on our rural communities, let's get real. And everyone should be looking in their own backyard to see how their local environment is tracking. And when your urban council closes your favourite urban beach this summer, ask yourself, who is to blame here? Both our urban and our rural communities need to work together to achieve collective goals. Thank you for listening and catch you next time on Factum Agri.